So welcome today. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the elders here at the Ridge, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. As Jerry mentioned last week, he's asked all the elders to, to speak on a verse or passage that has had a major impact on our life. So that's why I'm here today. But this was a tough decision for me. I had a lot to choose from. You see, <clears throat> when I was young, before I met Jesus, I was a sad, um, depressed, just nothing worked for me. Life was disappointing. Relationships, school, work, friends, nothing worked like the TV and movies said it would. I felt, I never felt at home anywhere. In my youth, Christianity was explained to me, but I really just never understood it. And with all the hypocrite Christians that are around me, it was easy to not believe it was true. So I saw Christians that were trying to be obedient, but they all seemed miserable. I didn't see the peace and the joy we just sang about. Even worse, the hypocrites were acting one way publicly and a different way privately, just like non-Christians. The only joyful people I remember seeing in my youth were those Christian little old ladies. You know those little ladies that always have the joy all the time? Yeah, but not a very good role, role model for me. But then in 1989, I met Jesus, and everything changed. I started to feel what his love was like. I started to really learn what love could be like. I didn't want to be that superficial believer, though, all those people that I had known before. Jesus had a lot of those, as you, as you remember his life. Um, all those people that believed in him, and then at the end, they were all gone. Well, I didn't want to be like that. I thought maybe there was a way to this peace and joy we just sang about, even though it wasn't evident in believers around me. After I met Jesus, I was all in. I wanted to follow him in every way. So I studied. I studied the Gospels. And when I came across John 15, I found my answer. This was it. This is what I've been looking for. But it wasn't easy to understand. Vines and branches and abiding and commandments, it seemed complicated but I started seeing a little bit of joy in my life. <clears throat> but as time went on, busy work life, busy home life, I stopped growing, and the peace and joy stopped as well. In my busyness with work and home, Jesus was just not first in my life. So what is joy? We tried to define that at, at 9 o'clock. It's difficult, isn't it? It's hard to come up with a definition. The dictionary, you'll love this definition, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. That seems complicated, doesn't it? Real joy is hard to come by in this world, but sometimes we feel deep joy. How about when a child accomplishes something great, like a home run or a touchdown, or a musical solo, or a graduation, or maybe a wedding? Or what about the birth of a child, right? That brings some really deep joy. Um, but as, and as Jerry said last week, what about when someone publicly gives their life to Jesus or is baptized? That can bring us joy. My wife and I have had plenty of opportunities with our six kids to have joy like that. But, that's, but, but nothing in this world is gonna, can give us the joy that I'm going to talk about today. It only comes from an intimate relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit. The joy we talk about today is much deeper 
a joy that remains. It's an overcoming joy that overcomes life's pain. It's a joy that overflows from you to others. It's the joy of knowing our future in heaven, but also a joy for our lives now. Okay, back to my story. In 2003, after an especially difficult time in my life, I found a new depth in abiding in Jesus' love. I experienced such wonderful joy, and it remained, it's remained ever since. A joy that remains even when life gets difficult. A joy that sustained me when we had four teenagers. So that's why I want to share this passage today. So let's get into the background of John 15. So earlier in John 13 and 14, we find some of the most powerful words Jesus has ever said. Here's some of them. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Some of the most amazing teachings ever. All of them could be life verses. As chapter 14 closed, Jesus and the disciples are about to, about to or have just left the upper room to make their way to the garden. Soon he will be arrested. In John chapter 15, Jesus brings the realities of, of the future for the 11 disciples. He would not be made Israel's king. He would be hated, and so would they be. In our text today, we see Jesus addressing his 11 disciples because Judas has left. It's not to unbelievers. It's not to a mixed audience. But this is a message to believers and believers alone. Jesus will teach here about how to be a disciple by telling them how to stay connected to him. The word used is abide. Another thing we must see in this chapter is that God is serious about fruit in our lives. He's serious about wanting to transform your life, your heart, and your character. Fruit bearing is something that only believers can do. So we will talk about that fruit, what that fruit is and why it's important. In this chapter, Jesus also speaks about keeping his commandments. Many people don't like the word commandments, right? Because it sounds so command-like. But it depends on who's in charge of your life, right? If God's truly in charge of your life, then his word is really more than just recommendations. Then we'll talk about joy, obviously one of my favorite topics. After all, we've heard and received the good news. We're saved, so we should be joyful. In this text today, if you're not a Christian, you can see what life, what your life and future could be like. If you are a joyful disciple, then you'll rejoice with me in this passage. But if you lack joy, then this message is specifically for you. So there's three things today, three questions that we'll try to answer. What does abide in Jesus mean and how do we do it? How can we be the disciple Jesus wants us to be? And how can we increase joy in our life? So let's look at verse 7. If you abide in me. Okay, let's stop there. So it starts out, abide in me. Well, right away, this is confusing. We don't, we, we don't use the word abide in our language much, right? But it's an important word for us disciples. The verb abide is the Greek word meno. It means remain, stay with me, keep close to me. So you could say to abide in Christ is to make a home with him. This is our proper relationship to God. We've been separated him by the curse, but now we can be with him. We can live with him, make our home with him. 
Let's look at some other verses supporting this concept of abide in Jesus. In John 14, 23, Jesus answered and said to, to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our abode or home with him. Colossians 2, 6, therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 1 John 2, 28, now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. And 2 John 1, 9, Anyone who does, goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Also earlier in chapter 15, we are studying today, Jesus speaks more about abiding by using the famous picture of vines and branches. I am the true vine. I'll read that now. I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus always connects himself back to the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, Israel was always referred to as the vine, but Israel failed. They didn't achieve God's goal. So, but our Lord Jesus accomplished what Israel failed to do and is therefore the true vine. In these verses, there's a relationship of complete dependence between the branch and the vine. The branches derive their life from the vine and the vine produces its fruit through the branches. Apart from the vine, the branches have, have neither life nor fruit. As disciples of Jesus, we are the branches. We are the visible manifestation of the vine, who is Jesus. Another way to think about the definition of abide is to think about marriage. We think marriage is supposed to be a lifelong relationship in which the husband and wife grow closer to each other year after year. But often that doesn't take place. Those who have been married for a while know that it takes work to have a good marriage. If you don't constantly work at your marriage, you and your spouse will drift apart and eventually there will be no relationship at all. I believe that's the same as, our, as abiding in Christ. The key to make our home in Christ is to continually spend time with him. We must know him deeply as well as we know each other. We have to always be working on our relationship with the Lord. You can't just put it on autopilot. So how do we spend time with him? Well, we must spend time praying and in Bible study. Jerry tells us that every week. Remember, but praying is not just talking, it's also listening. When's the last time you spent in quiet, really listening for him to speak? He wants, to come to, he wants us to come to him for big and small decisions. He's honored that you ask him. Then we must fill our lives with things that stir our affections for Jesus. As I just said, we, we all must pray and study the Bible. But after that, we are all different in what stirs up those affections. Some people like to have a quiet reflection in the morning. Uh, some like to listen to worship music. Um, some like to, to be with friends. That stirs their affections for Jesus. For me, it's being with, friend, with other disciples of Jesus. That really stirs up my affections for him. And I also start my day in quiet. I, I have a long commute. I drive um, 
with no, no radio on and reflect on yesterday, reflect on the possibilities of today, and just thank him for, for what he's done. But things can take me away from this, away from Jesus. Things like too much work, TV, movies, and news can consume my thoughts, and then I can be far away from him. All right, let's continue with verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, okay, let's stop there. This is why it's so important for us to spend time in the Word of God. I know you hear that here every Sunday, but you can't have the joy we're going to talk about unless the Word abides in you. The Greek word used here for words is rhema, which means the spoken word. So for us, that would refer to what the teachings of Christ in the Bible. To grow closer to Christ, read your Bible over and over until you are at home with it. In John 8, 31, 32, Jesus says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Paul put it this way to the Colossians, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with, in, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Paul calls upon believers to let the word take up residence and be at home in their lives. The word dwell literally means to keep house. We should live in the word of God like we live in our homes. We're familiar with our homes, where the closets are, what things are stored in them. We know where all the light switches are. We can navigate around even in the dark. The word of God needs to be like this. It's more than just reading it. Paul adds that the word is, the, is to richly dwell in us. Richly is from an old adverb, plusios. It means using it constantly at all times and in all circumstances. Now let's compare what Paul said to the Colossians with the Ephesians. Here's what he said to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Look at the results of each. They are the same. He tells the Colossians to let the word richly dwell in you, and then he tells the Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit. It's clear that these two concepts are identical because the passages that follow are so similar. Since the Holy Spirit is the author and power of the word, the expressions are interchangeable. In other words, the word-filled Christian is a spirit-filled Christian. And this is the same thing the Lord is teaching in our text to John. To abide in Christ is to be filled with the Spirit and have the word dwelling in us richly. God's word is to dwell in us abundantly, is to saturate us. It must become part of our very being, transforming the way we think and act. How much time do you spend getting to know the God who, who you claim to love? If you want to abide in Christ, you need to discipline yourself to spending time in God's word. If you neglect to spend time in God's word, you miss out on the joy that we're going to talk about. D.A. Carson wrote a, a commentary on the book of John, and he puts it this way. Such words must so lodge in the disciples' mind and heart that conformity to Christ, obedience to Christ, is the most natural thing in the world. But it's hard to do. So what can help? 
Pastor Jerry gave us some ideas last week about Bible study. Here's some additional suggestions. Ask your church friends here today and in your life group about things they do. Take notes while you read. Now, I did some pretty drastic things when I was uh, younger, but maybe they'll help you. When I was a young Christian, I simply copied the entire book of Matthew by hand, trying to learn it. And when I was in seminary 10 years ago, as an example of what they did, is they had us read the book of Luke three times with only taking bathroom breaks. (laughs) But use a Bible reading plan like YouVersion or um, that has reading plans and reminders. I know some of you use that here. Here's another one that's that's come out in the recent years from thebibleproject.com. They have an app for your phone and for your tablet called Read Scripture. It has reminders and it has a Bible reading plan. But they've developed these nice five to seven minute videos that explain each book of the Bible, most Christian concepts. I think you would really enjoy that. It, It really helps understand it more quickly, seeing it visually. But most of all, pray and ask for help. Pray to God and then listen, really listen for advice on how you can be in the word more. Okay, so let's finish up verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The first evidence of abiding is is the impact of answered prayer. You become effective. Prayer is not a way of getting God to do what you want him to do. Rather, it's asking him to do what he has promised to do. We pray according to his promises. So if you want to make your prayers effective, begin to read and study the promises of God. When you do, you will pray according to the mind and will of God. Okay, let's move on to verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So bearing fruit glorifies God. So what is fruit? Since we love God, we should be interested in what pleases him. In this context, fruit is Christ-likeness, produced in us as we abide in Christ. Just as an orange tree bears oranges, and an apple tree bears apples, an abiding Christian should produce Christ. Paul prays for the Philippians' fruitfulness in Philippians 1, 9 to 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in the real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So as others see God produce in us, they see what God produces in us, they will get a glimpse of what he's like. The father's glorified as he sees the character of his son lived out in our lives. The real goal of discipleship is not information. The goal is transformation into Christ likeness. Let me say that again. The real goal of discipleship is not information. It's transformation into Christ's likeness. Jesus put it this way in Luke 6:40, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he's been fully trained will be like his teacher. So the more you focus on yourself, the less fruitful you become. The more you focus on Christ, the more fruitful you become. So fruit is becoming like Jesus. Look at John 15:2 and 15:5 again. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
In verse 2, Jesus speaks of no fruit, some fruit, and more fruit. And then in verse 5, he speaks of much fruit. So the more you abide, the more fruit you produce. Okay, back to verse 8. He says that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So what does fruit prove? Does it prove that you're a Christian? That's not what the text says. It says that the fruit proves discipleship. Faith proves that you're a Christian. Fruit bearing is so bound up with discipleship that one stands for the other. To be a disciple is to bear fruit. To bear fruit is to be a disciple. So what else is the fruit that God is expecting from us? In Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So look at this list. Does some look difficult for you? Maybe patience, faithfulness, or self-control? What about joy? Is joy you're showing to others? Are you showing a lot of joy to others? Now, we don't develop mature fruit right away. In 2 Corinthians, Paul puts it this way. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding us as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So it's a process. It does not happen all at once. He says we are being transformed, being changed from one degree of glory to another. So if you truly belong to Jesus, he will begin to produce fruit in your life. We must learn there's no chance of being a Christ-like Christian unless we discipline our life. You can do the many things without dependence on Christ. You can raise a family. You can run a business. You can be very active even as a Christian. You can fill your days with busyness, activity, and, and, but without dependence on him, you cannot become Christ-like. You've achieved nothing in God's eyes. Discipline is necessary, but is not effective without dependence. You need to expect God to work. There must be a sense of his presence with you, a consciousness that he's willing to work through you and the patience to let him work in his own way. Some Christians emphasize dependence. They don't bother with themselves with discipline. They never read the Bible. They expect God to speak to them. They go around expecting God to do all the directing, open all the doors, and they seldom bother to deny themselves. That kind of dependence without discipline results in emptiness. But when both are present, life becomes amazingly fruitful. We begin to reflect the character of Jesus himself and prove that we are his disciple. Okay, let's look at verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. There's hardly a more important lesson in the Bible. This is the answer to the great problem in our culture, people feeling meaningless and worthless. The way to feel worthwhile is to realize God loves you. You belong to him. Jesus loves you. The Father loves you. You're a dear and precious to him. His desire is to help you discover all that he's made you to be as his fruit is produced in you. The way that the Father loves the Son is the way that the Son loves us. That's amazing. Have you ever really thought about that? But going through difficult trials often causes Christians to doubt Christ's love for them. We tend to think 
if Jesus really loves me, why would he put me through this horrible thing? But Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Did the Father's love for his son spare him trials? We don't question the love of the Father for the Son, even though he crushed him. So don't question Jesus' love for us, even though he puts us through trials. He loves us in the same way the Father loves him. Remember John 15, 2 says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. God is the vine dresser or gardener, prunes you through trials to help you become more like his son. We are commanded to abide in Christ's love. Abiding in his love is not automatic. It's something which we are commanded to do and which takes effort and action on our part. So how do we abide in his love? Jesus is very, very clear on this matter, as we'll see in verse 10. If we want to receive Jesus' love the way Jesus receives it from the Father, then we need to do what Jesus did. He did it through obedience. So let's look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice how it says if. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. It looks like we have a choice. The word keep here conveys the idea that you take the commands of Christ seriously. You hold them to be precious. You give attention to the closely following what our Lord commands. Jesus has said this over and over. In John 14, 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 21 says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves, loves me. 1 John 2, 3 by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And then the most famous, Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the commandments that I commanded you. So Jesus joins love and commandment keeping. The proof that Jesus was abiding in the Father's love is his obedience to the cross. The proof of our abiding in the love of Christ is obedience to Christ's commands. So what are his commands? I would challenge you that if, if Jesus is truly your Lord, then shouldn't you look deeply into what his commands are? John Piper wrote a book on the possible commands of Jesus. It's a scholarly book, fairly thick, but it's broken down into small chapters. He explores each statement of Jesus to see if maybe it could be a command. Several years ago, I used this book, kind of made my own list, a very small summary list of, of it using that book, not as a legalistic rule book or anything, but just as a tool to help me make, understand what Jesus is commands might be. So here's, here's what I use. Remember, some of these are obvious commands. Others, maybe not. So the first one is commands of decisions you must make. I think we'll all agree with these. This is a simple list. You must be born again. You must repent. You must come to me, believe in me, love me, listen to me. I think you would all agree those look good. Those are 
commands that we probably all agree with and follow. And then the next set of, of commands are for personal obedience. Abide in me. That's one of the ones we're talking about today. Take up your cross and follow me. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Rejoice and leap for joy. I like that one. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Worship God in spirit and truth. Always pray and do not lose heart. Do not be anxious about anything. Humble yourself. And then they continue. Do the will of the Father who is in heaven. By, be justified by trusting Jesus. Be transformed by trusting Jesus. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. Do not take an oath. Keep marriage proper. Render to Caesar things that are Caesar's. And then the final set of commands, possible commands, are, are commands of obedience with others. Love your enemies. Love your neighbor. Lay up treasures in heaven by giving generously. Build the church. Baptize disciples. Eat the Lord's Supper. Let your light shine before others and make disciples of all nations. Remember, though, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight <clears throat> to 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if we abide in him, abide in his love, abide in his word, bear his fruit, then following his commandments will just be natural for us. It will happen through his power, his fruit through you. And so following Jesus' commands isn't a burden. His burden is light. So what comes to your mind when I say obedience? What words come to your mind? What do you think of? Duty? Rules? No fun? How about joy? Let's see verse 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. So all these things we've talked about today, when he says these things, he says that's everything he just said. Jesus explains why he has said what he said. His intention was not to create anxiety or fear. His intention wasn't to create things of a legalistic necessity. His intention is your joy. But joy is not happiness. Happiness is based on external things and can be destroyed in an instant. You're one text message away from losing your happiness, right? Continual fellowship with Jesus brings continual joy. Joy comes from abiding in, his, in the love of Jesus. When you make your home in Jesus' love, you will experience joy. Here's some verses on joy that I, that I found. The prophet Isaiah says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He's wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Psalm 1611 says, if you make known to me the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. In Acts 13.52, the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And Peter explains it this way. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you not see him now, but believe in him, 
you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. This is my testimony to you today. I found my answer. I found my place, my home. I'll never be perfect at this, but I'll never go back to the way I was before. When things get rough, I'm amazed how the joy remains. I encourage you today, if you don't have this continual joy, study this abiding and obeying. So let's go back now and look at the three questions I mentioned at the beginning. The first one is, what does abide in Jesus mean and how do we do it? Abiding in Christ and his word is making your home with Jesus. It's very similar to being filled with the spirit. It assures us of answered prayer and intimacy with Jesus. It changes our nature so by default we act more like him and want what he wants. It makes it possible to obey his commands. So how do we abide? Ask God for his power to help you to abide and listen. We must be quiet and listen to get his help. Make Jesus and his word your highest priority. Fill your life with things that stir up our affections for Jesus. Okay, you might say, I don't know how to do these things. I'm just too messed up. I must clean myself up first. But think about Peter the apostle. He said he was the best apostle and would never deny Jesus. But he did three times. He was the worst. He denied Jesus when he was tested. But when Jesus appeared on the shore after his resurrection, what did Peter do? He jumped out of the boat and swam to the shore. He couldn't wait to get to him, even though he failed him so miserably. So don't worry about yesterday. Go to Jesus today and make your home with him. Let's look at question two. How can we be the disciple Jesus wants us to be? Abide in him and his word so his fruit will develop. Learn what Jesus' commands are. Our number one goal must be to be like Jesus. Remember, it's impossible to obey him unless you abide first. If we abide in Jesus and his word, it will turn our priorities upside down. Jesus is not teaching that we can lose our salvation by failing to abide. He's simply showing that abiding is not an option but an essential requirement for a disciple. Many of us are preoccupied with our performance as Christians rather than being occupied with Jesus. We're more interested in the results we achieve than in simply resting in him. We want his power, but we fail to appreciate his person. We have the cart before the horse. Abiding is our obligation. Fruitfulness is God's concern. The true vine is the author, the source, and the finisher of our faith. We should be seeking his fellowship and leaving the fruit to him. Psalm 127 gives us a picture of this. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. That's powerful, right? I know I spend too much time up late and rising up early. The first two verses reveal the futility of self-effort. Human effort without divine enablement is fruitless and frustrating. We simply wear ourselves down for no good reason. 
But look at verses three to five. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Verse three to five are in contrast to the first two verses. Children are a gift of the Lord. This is a lesson which we need to learn today. We've become preoccupied with results. We want to have guidance, but we ignore the guide. We seek God as the giver rather than the gift. The rewarder rather than the reward. We seek his blessings rather than see him as the blessing. And then the the third question. How can we increase the joy in our life? If your life lacks joy, then it might lack Jesus. Abide in Jesus' love and his word. Be willing to be used by God. And continual fellowship with Jesus brings continual joy. All of this we've talked about today is so we can have joy, not just some here and there when things happen, but joy to the fullest. Don't you want that? To be filled with joy all the time? But we don't believe it's true because we don't see it around us. But you believe other things Jesus says. You believe that he's going to save you, right? This is a promise of Jesus. So we should believe this is true as well. Life is just too hard to to ignore this joy. The answer is to abide in Jesus in his word. May God enable us to abide in him. Let us pray.